Elizabeth, how are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for being here. So you just had a birthday? I, I did. <laughs> I uh, saw some pictures on, uh, I don't know, Instagram maybe? Yes. Or- uh, I just I, I don't want to I don't want to admit to it, but I just turned forty. <laughs> Congratulations! Thank you, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Unfortunately, my fortieth birthday was like right in the middle of all the coronavirus stuff. Oh yeah. Because it was in April of 2020, so I ended up not really having any sort of big celebration at that time because you know everyone was worried about coronavirus. Well, so I, now, um, I moved back during the pandemic to, to Cincinnati, Ohio, where I'm from, and um, pretty much my entire social circle is, like, my husband, my baby, my parents, and, like, my wider family. I have a big family here. So, like, my 40th birthday party was spent in a backyard with, like, lots of cousins and aunts and babies. and I mean, that, it was lovely, but it was uh, – it's funny. I did, I did not have a big 40th bash or anything like that. Yeah, I always thought I might. Because, I don't know, my family was talking about it for a while. Like, my parents were like, yeah, when Justin turns 40, we'll do, like, a big thing. But then, I don't know, all the plans got upended, I guess. <laughs> and and, I, and they said, they said someday we'll do one for him, but it, I'm 42 now, and it hasn't happened. So, <laughs> I never had my 40th bash. Well, um, if, you're, if they're anything like my family, you avoided getting 40 black balloons with a $1 bill in each of them that you had to pop <laughs> in front of yeah. everyone. So, um... Yeah, Yeah, that doesn't sound like something I'd want to do. (laughs) So um, you're a mother now? Yes. What's that like? Uh, It's great. I I love it so much. Has it it changed your perspective on anything? Uh, No, I I don't really think so. Well, okay, one thing, but like this is just a small thing, but I used to think that babies didn't have personalities. I used to say, like, I grew up the oldest of many cousins, so I liked kids. And I used to say, I like kids when they get a little older and they have personalities, but I didn't think babies were interesting. And now I'm, one of the, now I'm like, oh my God, babies have so much personality. Like, my sister has a baby now, too. So I'm like, they actually do have different personalities, and, and I enjoy, like, babies, too. Yeah, I, for sure. My kids, they are so similar to what they were like as babies. Like you, can, you can sort of see the personalities now that they had as babies. So it's it really is something. It That's does, I think, last. Yeah. That's good to hear because my son is actually like very chill, like very happy, not at all fussy baby. So. Yeah. Lucked well, that's out. that's good. So I saw you at the Libertarian National Convention. Were you there for the whole event, or did you just come in for? Um, your part where you, you did one of the events, you were, um, essentially emceeing it. Yeah, I was, I was just there for that. We had other people from reason there who were, who were actually covering it and doing Well, you did a video interview with Nicholas B. So he was there doing video interviews, but yeah, I was just there, um, to do the, to emcee the gala and, and they wanted me out there though for like earlier so that I could kind of get a feel for what was going on. And so I could sort of tailor my comments like during the, the thing to, to what had been happening. So were you there for a couple days? I was there. Yeah. I got out late Thursday night. So I was there like all day Friday and all day Saturday. Oh, okay. And correct me if I'm wrong. You're not a member of the libertarian party. The- no, I am a member. Actually. You are. Okay. Uh, yes. I, I wasn't, I wasn't sure. Yeah, no, I joined in 2020. I had not been, I had been one of those people that was like, Meh, like, I'm a small libertarian, but, like, the Libertarian Party, whatever. 
Um, but I don't know. At some point, at some point in the past few years, I started like I really believe that libertarians do need a vehicle to to you know have to put their electoral politics hopes in, and like the Republicans and Democrats are just both so hopeless that. I um, and I got excited about the LP, and so I have been a member the past few years, and I've been slowly getting involved, and I, I want to get more involved. Um, I I'm, I'm excited about it. Yeah, and growing up, you were always like a small L libertarian, or were you were you something else? No, I wasn't. I wasn't really anything. Um, I was always very political, but I like never felt like I fit in. I just, I mean, I used to think that I was like pretty liberal in some ways, but almost like too liberal for the Democrats in some ways, but also not with like progressives on other things. And I just didn't know what, what that was until I went to um, an Institute for Humane Studies seminar when I was like 22 years old, just out of college. And uh, they gave us a subscription to Reason Magazine. They gave us some various books. We heard a bunch of libertarian speakers talk. And I was like, oh my God, this is what I am. Like this thing that, that I'm learning about was what I, what I've always been. And I just didn't, hadn't really realized it was a philosophy. Is that how you found out about reason? Yeah, it is. It's how I found <laughs> out about reason. Um, and I was like, I want to work at this place. And then, you know, lo and behold, many years later I did. So was your, um, was your background in journalism or, or something else? No, I actually, I was a theater major in undergrad. Um, and I, I studied playwriting uh, but then right out of college, I got a job at a newspaper in Columbus, Ohio, um, covering like legal issues, uh, which was like a great, I, and I got to interview people that were like at the Supreme, you know, Supreme court cases, interview judges and stuff. It was really cool. Um, gave me a good basis for what I eventually wanted to do. But after this, this IHS seminar, I, went to, I was like, you know what? I don't want to do, I don't want to do journalism anymore. I want to do PR. I want to do PR for a libertarian organization, which I had also just learned that think tanks existed. I was like, what is this magical thing? People just like <laughs> sit around and get paid to write about ideas. So I wanted to maybe do PR for that. And I wanted to get out of Ohio. So I, I went to grad school in DC for um, public relations and like one year studying PR in DC was like, nope, I don't actually want to do this. I'm going to go back to journalism. So I, I never worked in PR, but. So why did you want to get out of Ohio at the time? Just, I mean, I can, as a Michigan, you know, I don't, I don't know whether I should say Michigander or Michiganian. People will fight about that all day. But as someone from Michigan, um, well, you know, I can understand yeah, why I get, yeah. get out of Ohio. But what was your reason? I was not an Ohio State person, so just, just so you know, <laughs> uh, no, uh, just because I've, I've been there my whole life. Um, you know, I went to college at Ohio University, and uh, you know, at the point that I left, I was I think twenty three, so I just you know, was just sort of itching to get out and, and see new things. So I, I moved to D.C. and I ended up living in D.C. and New York City and Indiana for like the next 15 years or so and then uh, just moved back to Cincinnati, like I said. So all the stuff that you do with Reason can be done from home, essentially? Yeah, yeah. Um, and before the pandemic even, like plenty of people at Reason worked remotely. Um, we, we've always had a culture of... I, I worked in the DC office and a number of us do, but um, we also have a California office, but like also a lot of people have always worked remotely. Presumably there are some people who have to be like near politicians and near wherever the particular action is to get their stories done. Yeah. Except that, you know, we don't, we don't do a reason like a lot of like going to things on Capitol Hill and now everything is, is streamed, you know, like even congressional hearings and stuff. So yeah. for the most part, 
as long as like a few people are there in case something happens that we need to have something for, then then it's okay. But yeah, we do have a pretty actually robust DC office now. Um, our our California office, not a lot of people from our journalism staff work at the California office, which is technically our headquarters. But how did that become the headquarters? Uh, because it was that's just where it was launched was out in was out in L.A. or oh, in San okay. Francisco, I think, and then it moved to L.A. Um, so we actually like we get to be in the the Los Angeles Press Club Awards. We always usually win some of those every year, but it's just funny because I'm like, you know, it doesn't feel like we're a California publication, but technically that's where we we're based. Yeah. So was this your first Libertarian National Convention? Yes, it was. Yeah, you'd never been to one before. No, I had not. Yeah, and it was the same for me. You know, I um, I joined the party, I guess, in 2020, like you. And I didn't attend the previous convention. A lot of it was remote um, previous the previous time. But this was the first national convention I've attended. What was interesting to you about it as you were just walking around and observing or what was like unexpected? I mean, the, the whole, like the way part the party conducts business, which is just so much like the parliamentary procedure with the, you know, endless arguing about things. I'd heard that that had happened because, you know, I've had some friends who were deeply involved in it, but yeah, it was, it was just like at one point they were like, debating something very seemingly very small and i was like okay like i'm gonna you know i'm gonna leave and i came back like two hours later and they still hadn't actually um voted on whatever the thing was have you been to republican and democratic conventions i have um in 2016 i went to both of them but not like really i I was more there sort of covering the the culture of it and you know what was happening outside so i didn't really i was not seeing what was happening on the floor yeah and those conventions tend to be a little more like just entertainment yeah like for the for the crowds that are there uh it's true the libertarian convention is very procedural yeah um maybe it's what attracts me to it too i like that stuff other people find it tedious or whatever, but um, I, you know, I don't know that they need to argue over every little thing. But I like that they follow uh, sort of a formal rules and spend their time actually thinking about what's going on according to the rules. Yeah, no, they don't, I, I like they don't always get it right. They don't always get yeah. it right, but you know. It was cool. No, it was cool to see. Uh, just because I wasn't like a delegate or anything there, I was just like, okay. Like I just, I kind of came and went from, from that main room. And um, I like seeing all the different caucuses too. You know, it's, it's cool to know that there's all these different, you know, uh, factions, which I know that some people hate, but like, I don't know. I, I think it's, I think it's kind of neat to see that there are like all these different kinds of libertarians and we're not a party where everybody is sort of in lockstep. Now, were you there for the uh, – I think it was I, – I missed it, but there was um, like a room where they were discussing sex work? I was not. I was not there for that. I heard it was not great either. Um, okay. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't see it. I so heard I, there was – yeah. Uh, I, I won't get into it. I just – a little bit of libertarian stereotypes happening in there and not good ones. Um yeah. yeah, but no, I did not witness it actually. So, because that's your that's like one of your main arenas, right? Like that's yes. that's been a big focus for you. How did you get into that as a topic? 
Like, did this when you got into libertarianism originally? Was this the issue that really struck a chord with you that you cared about it for some reason, or was it some other issues? And then you came to this issue. This definitely was. This wasn't the issue that got me into libertarianism, but um, you know, when I, when I first started reason, reading reason, like back in the like mid aughts, um, I felt like there were a lot of people who wrote about wrote about this issue at Reason, and then um, by the time I started working there in 2014, um, a lot of the, like, stuff related to sex had, I don't there was just, like, not as many people writing about that on the on, on the staff, so it just sort of wasn't there. So I, I knew that that was kind of a, a role that I could fill. Like, when I, when I was applying, I was like, okay, I want to, like, write about sex worker rights, and I want to, um, you know, do libertarian, write about, like, more, like, libertarian feminist stuff there. So it's amazing that I've, that I've gotten to do that. It's, it's exactly what I wanted. But um, like Peter Suderman is one of my, you know, is one of the editors of Reason. And he's my, do a lot of which have been about sex work. And he um, edited a piece about strip club taxes that I wrote in 2008 for this group called America's Future Foundation. So I have been writing about, about this issue for a long time. And Peter has been editing my work now for, gosh, like 14 years on, on sex mm-hmm. work. And so what was it that got you into it? Like, what was it that really, where you felt, you felt it wasn't being covered properly? You felt yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't being understood as a liberty issue? I just feel like there could be more attention, but it's also just been a very, like an issue I was drawn to. Like I worked uh, at a strip club in college. And so I got very into the sex worker rights movement and started like, there used to be a publication called spread and I would read that. And I just um, was, you know, uh, started. Then when I became a libertarian, I started learning about all the just like, you know, syntaxes on, on strip clubs and like various things like that. And uh, all the different facets of it. And it's just like, there's endless ways that the government is trying to control, you know, sex, sexually oriented businesses. So um, it was just such good fodder for, for, yeah, for libertarians to cover, I thought. So and Jacob what, Sullivan was already doing a lot of good work on that at Reason too. But, um, but there's so much of it that there's room for more. So what do you think about the Libertarian Party seemingly moving away from some of this in terms of, what it's going to talk about because I've seen some of the new members of leadership and the party suggesting, well, look, we still care about this issue, but it's just not one we really want to put front and center. Does that concern you or is it, is it a reasonable thing? Is it true? Are they right that maybe this isn't like the main issue Americans want to talk about and they're trying to build a party and they're thinking about, that yeah i don't i don't know if it should i don't definitely don't think it should be a main issue um at all you know because i think you're right like this is not a main thing that that americans are concerned with um you know just sometimes people give reason like crap about it like why are you covering this so much i'm like we cover like so many things actually like this is actually a small percentage of what we write about but it is an important issue so i hate I'd hate to see them, the Libertarian Party, like abandon this as as a thing that's in our platform that we support, you know, decriminalization of sex work and, and the right for consenting adults to do what they want with their bodies. Like, I think that's important. I'm glad it's in our platform. Um, I, I don't really know, you know, like how much emphasis that the, the Libertarian Party as a, as a national party should put into it. I don't think that it necessarily needs to be like one of their main issues or anything. But I do think that it is 
an issue that can, you know, can grow libertarianism, actually. Like, I know so many, like, I've, I've gotten to know, like, so many sex workers across the country and covering this, and a lot of them don't have the most positive feelings about libertarianism because a lot of them, sex worker activists, tend to be leftists. And they have not had the most positive feelings about reason, but then they're like, you know, they'll they'll share all the time, like, oh, but reason is actually really good on this issue. And then they'll start reading other things we write and actually coming around to some of it and, and changing their view of libertarianism. So, yeah, I guess, well, I don't think it should necessarily be a main issue. I also don't think it's, like, at all bad for liberty libertarian party to be involved with it. And I think it, it is an avenue that we, you know, is good for us to do outreach on, too. Do you worry that the libertarian party is taking maybe a rightward turn and some of these issues are then viewed as like coming from the left. As you said, maybe a lot of the sex workers you've met over the years have viewed themselves as coming from the left. And to the extent they have joined the libertarian party or the libertarian movement, maybe they're viewing it from more of the left leaning aspects of libertarianism. And as the party moves rightward, perhaps, are you worried that that scares people away from the left who might otherwise join? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I wish that our, I wish that our underlying message could consistently be that we are not left or right, you know, like that, and that there's room for both. There's room for both conservatives and social liberals in our party. Like, all you have to believe is that it should be left up to individuals, these sorts of decisions, and the government doesn't have to be involved. And that's what I love about the Libertarian Party is that there is room within it for people who are socially conservative, people who are socially liberal, like, you know, as long as we just sort of leave each other alone and say that these things should be allowed and the government shouldn't be excessively regulating them, then it's cool. So I'm, I don't necessarily want to see a libertarian party that is that is like more left leaning, but I also don't want to see one. Yes, that like closes out any room for what they perceive as left leaning issues, which honestly, like, I don't think a lot of these. I think a lot of these are things like, you know, that, that like like sex work decriminalization, um, drug decriminalization, like all these things that, you know, criminal justice reform that are often sort of framed as like left-leaning issues. I think that they are just core libertarian issues. What, what about this thing that I think we're seeing more on the right, including within the Libertarian Party, where people are just widely being called groomers oh because God. they're – because they're um, maybe more liberal on certain social issues, and um, and it's become a term that's kind of the way the term racist is used, where yes. everything becomes – everyone's racist if they don't agree with you. I was just thinking that exact thing today, like the equivalence between that, because it's the same sort of crowd that gets really mad about – the overuse of the term racist and like, you know, people on the left saying everything is racist. And, and also sometimes I've seen the argument that like that that diminishes actual racism because it's easy for racists to hide behind it. Now that it's like, well, everybody's called racist. Like nothing I'm doing is actually racist. And I, uh, I, I wrote today something that has gotten a lot of people on Twitter calling me a groomer and the pedophile, which is just, you know, it's just absurd. And I was, yeah, I saw that. I mean, someone asked, someone said like, well, you ask her why she supports pedophilia, which yeah. you obviously do not. But which I obviously sure. do not. I wrote that like it shouldn't be illegal for parents to take their kids to like family friendly drag queen shows, which because that's been a big controversy. And I and I wrote even I post like I totally understand why people wouldn't want to do that, but like you know, saying like you go into a drag show is like saying you're going to a movie. Like whether or not you should take a kid depends on the content of the movie. Like a drag show just means like 
there are people cross-dressing. It can be a very PG, G-rate or G-rated event. It can also be very like body, but it's not necessarily involving anything sexual. So anyways, yeah, I, I wrote that at Reason and I got a lot of this like, okay, groomer, um, which again, is just, you know, it's, it's silly. But also I wonder like if this sort of stuff really does sort of in the same way that the overuse of racist does, does sort of take things away from when people actually are doing bad things, you know, like if, if you're just calling everyone like a sexual deviant and something like that and calling everyone a pedophile, like how do we actually identify the people who are, are actually like doing abhorrent things? Yeah. The thing I've tried to figure out and like, I can't imagine taking my kids to a drag show. Like that's not a thing I would do. And I understand you say like, maybe it depends on the context. I probably would not take my kids to any drag shows um, that I could ever imagine. <laughs> like I, I don't, I can't think of a context where I would. But in any case, what I find confusing to me as a libertarian is why libertarians have suddenly got so involved in what parents are doing yeah. that are not, you know, not with kids related to them or any. It's like it's it's not my kids some if some other parent if some other parent halfway across the country wants to do something like raise their kids a certain way why does it become my business yeah no exactly like it's just i don't know you saw so much of this during the pandemic too which is like one of my pet peeves during the pandemic was libertarians and masks like i think we should oppose mask mandates 100 percent. but there there grew this culture where it was like oh my god it's like people just mocking anybody who was wearing a mask or being like, we should take away kids from their parents if they're making them wear masks. And it was just like, I don't understand why people are so mad about what other people are choosing voluntarily to do. Like oppose the mandates, but why are people so mad? And I just feel like, yeah, it's a lot of libertarianism getting into culture war stuff where libertarianism is like so blinded by taking an opinion on culture war that they're forgetting that like our number one thing is like, as long as, you know, it's voluntary and let people behave how they, and, you know, not harming others, let people do wear a mask, like take their kids to see some, you know, men dressed as women dancing. Like, yeah, again, my- I, I'm not a big fan of drag shows either. Like I, you know, my son's eight months old, so it doesn't really matter right now, but like, you know, I probably wouldn't take my kids either, but I just don't understand. Like no one's being harmed by, by being, yeah, you know, my my view is we're certainly allowed to have opinions about all sorts of things. Right. I can have opinion. I can have an opinion about your family, even. But but right. but the difference the difference is I don't think it should be emphasized by libertarians within the party or within the movement as like the thing we're focused on. Like there are so many issues out there that we could be talking about where the government is actively doing harm. And it seems strange to me that you do have some people who are what might be described as party activists. You know, I have a different view of how the party should operate. I think activism should be separated from the party. But there are people who think the party should be used for activism. And some of them are making this a point of emphasis. And I worry that it's heading in the direction of the Republican Party, a party that I left, where – Suddenly, everything is becoming everyone's business, and it starts with just like we're making, you know, oh, I'm just making a comment about what I think, and then the next thing you know, it's the government coming in and saying like we have to do this or that, 
and the government starts getting involved in ways that take away people's rights. Yeah, I mean, we see this right now with all of the comments on our on our coverage. The reason of anything that, again, like is perceived as, as sort of culturally like progressive or liberal is that we're covering it from a very libertarian standpoint, just saying like the government shouldn't get involved in this. We're not saying like you have to think this is great on, on a lot of these things. And we have people like yelling at us constantly like, oh, my God, like how dare like this is why libertarians are losing. And you're like, for saying libertarian principles, like it's. How do you think libertarianism is perceived by the average person out there? I mean, I don't think the average person knows much about libertarianism, unfortunately. <laughs> um, sometimes it's it's disappointing because the way I think like your average, very politically, like very politically involved, extremely online person perceives it is not good on the left or the right. So you can like start to feel like, oh, like. People hate libertarians. People hate libertarianism across the board. But then when I talk to just like ordinary people, you know, I think a lot of people are with us. Like a lot of people believe that, you know, they want less government. They want people to just be able to make their own decisions. And I think that like in general, a lot of people are with us, but they're just sort of a, a quiet, you know, a quiet, not extremely online group that doesn't that doesn't voice their opinions about libertarianism or maybe like I was when I was younger, like even know it exists. They just know that they don't identify with the, the either of the mainstream parties. Yeah. Let's but, take but, a, yeah. I was gonna say, what do you, how do you think people? Perceive well, uh, from my perspective, most people don't think about libertarianism as an idea. Like if you ask, ask a typical person about libertarianism, I found just from my own exchanges, that most people don't really think much about it. They may have very libertarian views, and I actually think that if you had to uh, put the the bulk of the population into a category, I'd say they're more on the libertarian side than yeah. anything else. I, I think that uh, – like if you laid out my I, – I often think about it this way. If you laid out all the positions I took in Congress, I firmly believe that – if people were to select, like, do you like Justin Amash's positions or do you like take someone on the right or someone on the left? Do you like their positions? I think I would actually get the most people to like my positions um, out of out of almost anyone uh, who served in Congress because they are libertarian positions. And I, I think they will seem reasonable to most people. Uh, they're not based on knee-jerk sort of biased partisan um, – thinking. But I would say that the average person doesn't really think much about libertarianism. And to the extent they do, I suspect that most of them think of it as a very rightward philosophy, like something that's very far on the right, um, almost like an extreme right. That's the sense I get from a lot of people I talk to, to the extent they do say anything about it, which does make me wonder about the strategy now of the party, which seems to be let's and I and I say this as someone who came from the right, I was in the Republican Party, um, but it does make me question the strategy of some in the party now who think, well, let's go for the far right or extreme right or whatever. People who are very rightward libertarians, I think people who are like that are either already in the party. They already are, have latched on to libertarianism or they are um, roughly within the MAGA 
Trump sort yeah. of world. Um, not that Trump is libertarian in any way, but I think that culturally there's a lot of overlap there in, in terms of the way they think about culture. So they're likely to be in one of those two groups. I don't think it's like a – I don't think it's a real growth opportunity for the no. party. Um, no, and especially like if you know Trump runs again in 2024 or if DeSantis runs, like anybody that, that the Libertarian Party could – could gain by trying to appeal that demographic is, is just going to vote Republican again, you know? So, yeah, I don't think yeah, that's, that's my view of it. I think the, the big opening is the large group of sort of politically agnostic people. Like they don't, you know, they're not quite sure what they, they, they yeah. want to believe, they want to believe in something, but they're not quite sure what it is. And they are, because they're American, you know, we're talking about the United States. There is a cultural culture of classical liberalism here that a lot of them have, and they can be brought into the party. But I'm gonna I'm gonna take a couple of callers and let's see what they have to say. So let's go to James. Hello, Congressman. Can you hear me? Yeah. Hey, James. Hey, uh, uh, my I had a comment and a question about the whole Mises Caucus taking over the at the Libertarian Convention. My thing is, I don't think, I'm not going to sit here and say that they're fascists like other callers you've had on, but I do believe they are a group of people who, after the 2016 election, when Gary Johnson got four and a half million people to vote for him, which was the highest percentage the Libertarian Party has ever gotten, they started to be afraid because I think they may be that kind the group that votes libertarian for the sole purpose of complaint and saying, well, we voted, we just voted for a guy who couldn't win. And I think, you know, like they're, they, they would rather have like Dave Smith run for president, be the nominee instead of you, because they know, you know, nothing against Dave, but I really don't see him as having a path to make any impact as opposed to you. Who's been in Congress for 10 years and you could make impact. And, and I just think that, you know, we need somebody to, to run for our presidential candidacy who can make impact because not only do we have that, you know, we, we have Andrew Yang with the forward party and he's hinting he's going to run. Yeah. And if he runs, he's, he's going to take away any momentum that a Dave Smith or a Spike Cohen would ever have. I mean, look what would have happened to Jorgensen if Howard Schultz run. He'd have sucked it all, up all of our momentum. So I'm not sure that I'm going to run. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know what I'll do, ultimately. But I do think that the strategy is likely missing the mark. And I don't think that actually, you know, people have been very harsh toward the Mises caucus. I do not have that um, harshness for the Mises caucus that other people do. Uh, You know, I've had callers on here who have said things about them, some very nasty things. I've met a lot of Mises caucus people. Uh, A lot of them are really great people. I do not think that the bulk of them are like, uh, nationalists or fascists or anything like that. You know, that is like in any party or in any movement, 
you will have some people like that, but I do not think that that's what the what the group is about on the whole. Um, so my disagreement with them is not really about like are they good people. I think that the uh, by by and large they are good people. My disagreement with them is not even on politics really. Like I actually agree with many of their positions. Um, you know, my background is Austrian economics. That's like that's how I came to libertarianism is through Hayek and Mises and, and others. It's from, from an Austrian economics, what some might view as like a right libertarian background. So my disagreement with them is not really on that stuff. My concern is the strategy. I'm not sure the strategy actually grows the party. And that's what I'm worried about because from my perspective – the only reason you have a political party is to organize people to win elections. That's why it exists. If you want to have an activist movement, go start a 501c3 or a 501c4 or some, you know, a PAC, uh, which the Mises Caucus is, and it can serve as a PAC and it can advocate for things as a PAC. Um, so I think you do that stuff and you can make a difference within the broader libertarian movement. But when it comes to a political party, I think your whole goal should be how can we build the biggest coalition possible to win elections while staying true to our principles? And that means that you're, you're, you have to focus on what are the core libertarian principles and not get into the weeds, into the areas where you're going to have massive disagreement. If we're having a big fight about um, – you know, do you prefer Mises or Hayek or whatever? Then you're too in the weeds already. It's got to be simpler than that. The average person will never know about Mises or Hayek or Rothbard or anyone else. You know, my concern is a strategic one. And I don't know, Elizabeth, if you have anything else to add to that, but. Uh, just that, I mean, everything you said there is kind of ex exactly what I think. I, I tweeted, you know, earlier this week or last week about about worrying a little bit about, about Mises caucus strategy and uh, a whole bunch of people like jumped in there and were like, Oh, so you think we're racist and sexist and fascist? And it's like, no, like literally no, because I did not say any of that. And just like you said, like I've met many people, individuals in the Mises caucus who are very good people. And I don't think that, you know, like as a whole that, that it's anything bad, but I, but again, yes, like exactly that. I worry about the strategy. I worry that they're tailored towards, too much like like one of the first you know tweets now that they've taken over the accounts was like we oppose like regime libertarians who do this and it's like this just feels like intra-libertarian like infighting that that is just gonna not attract anybody on the outside who's not already sort of with us and and if we do more yeah more sort of drilling down about like libertarians must feel this way on culture issues again like we're going to you know, like like you were saying before, like we don't need to have libertarians have a position on these like different culture issues. We just need to be open to people who feel a different way as long as they can all agree that the government is not going to get involved. Yeah, and I think sometimes people make the mistake of thinking that if I have a concern or if you have a concern or someone else has a concern about the Mises strategy or sort of the right word strategy within the libertarian party, that that means – we think the previous strategy was great. And that's not true. It's like uh, – it's, it's just a fallacy. 
I can be critical, for example, of the Democratic Party right now who are in charge of Washington essentially. And the fact that I'm critical of them does not mean that I thought the Republicans were great. In fact, I criticize the Republicans all the time. Uh, similarly, I can think that the the previous approach was not great. I don't think the party did enough to build excitement. Um, I don't yeah. think it was bold enough. I don't think it was aggressive enough. In fact, the very fact that the Mises caucus was able to essentially go state to state – and claim all of the delegates at conventions is an indication that those who were not in favor of the Mises caucus strategy were just not really trying hard enough. I mean, yeah. no offense, no offense to any of them because a lot of them are my friends and I know a lot of them have supported me, but it, and I'm sure there are many people who did go out and try. So I'm not criticizing you. Those of you who did go to the conventions, you showed up and you worked hard, but Look, if you want to build your party, if you want to build it in the direction you think is right, you've got to bring people to the conventions. You've got to show up. You've got to be active. You've got to organize. And it really is an indication of how the party wasn't really aggressive enough. It wasn't really bold enough. The people who were involved with it were too laid back about a lot of things and were just in many ways letting things just roll along. And again, I'm not criticizing – there are particular people within the party who I know have worked very hard and they're my friends. And I'm not – this is not a criticism of you, of you if you're listening. What I'm telling you is that there are lots of people in the party who are griping now who um, could have taken a more active role and decided not to, uh, decided not to organize enough, decided not to get their friends involved the way that they needed to get them involved. And it is what it is now. So – the Mises people are right that the previous party for 50 years, yeah. I think, did not work hard enough to develop a bold strategy that would reach lots of people. And that has to change. The The question I have is um, you can be bold, but if you're bold and you are really narrowing your mark for who you're aiming for, you're not – you're also not going to grow the party. You need to be bold and you need to be bold and think big. You yeah. need to think for a bit. You need to shoot for a big swath of the electorate here. And the available swath is not really um, like just podcasters and bros and, you know, like a, like a very small segment of the country. The available swath are all sorts of people who are alienated by the two parties who are very open to libertarianism and maybe they don't agree with your brand of libertarianism right away. Maybe they're not, you know, uh, Rothbardian or Miesian or Hayekian or whatever that you might want. Maybe they're not quite there, but they're available voters who can come into the party and, and learn about these things. And I think we should be reaching people who are essentially libertarian curious, who want to come in and learn about libertarianism and then they will over time develop into the kinds of libertarians that we really appreciate within the party, that we really want to have be a part of this party. But at first, you're going to have people who don't know a lot about libertarianism. And, it, and in, fact, a lot of the, in fact, a lot of the Mises people who are coming in are not necessarily – they're young people who are energetic and enthusiastic. But they themselves are examples of people who don't necessarily 
who aren't necessarily that familiar with all of libertarianism. And, um, and we want these people in the party and we want to teach them about it. But the, the people at the top and the leadership of the, the new leadership of the party, I think if they're aiming for just a very narrow demographic, that's all they're going to get. You're going to get a party that is 3% or 5%. Yeah, I mean, right now, I think more than ever, there are just so many disaffected, like, vaguely classical liberal people that used to consider themselves Republicans or used to consider themselves Democrats and are just like, what the heck happened to either of, you know, these parties that are just sort of looking for a place? And if we can't capitalize on that right now, it just seems like such a shame because we're in just such a moment of realignment that's there for the taking if we can get it right, I think. And... Yeah, it does disturb me that, and I'm not just talking about the Mises Caucus, I'm not just talking about the Libertarian Party in general, but, like, libertarians across the board love to just be like, what? You're not, like, totally with us on every issue, like, right away? Like, I'm going to shun you, I'm going to, like, mock you online, I'm going to do all these things. When, yeah, people need time. Like, hook people with some issue where they agree, and then they might start coming around. Like, when I first became a libertarian, I didn't necessarily agree on, like, every issue, you know, I was sort of naive, like I think a lot of people are, where I thought like, okay, yeah, the government is, is you know, bad at, at this and this and this, but like, maybe they'll be okay in this one area. And then the more you're exposed to libertarian thought and the more you're exposed to the government in action, you kind of learn like, oh, actually that like, you know, those few pet areas that I thought they'd be okay in are, are not going to be okay either. But it takes, it takes a little time to get there. And, and I think people are often just turned off right away because... Because of libertarians sometimes being like, yeah, you need to be 100% with us or you're our enemy. Yeah. Let's go back to James for a second. Let's see if he has anything to add. Sorry, I'm, I forced muted forced him. Hey, uh, this is no problem, Congressman. Uh, you know, again, I'm not saying the Mises Caucus people are bad. I mean, if I probably, I, if I met someone like Dave Smith and we had a couple of beers, we'd probably, you never know, we might be good friends. The problem is I just feel that if you're going to run somebody for president, you need somebody who has some sort of name recognition and credibility. I mean, I'll go, I'll, I'll give a great example of one of the most successful third party candidates in American history, you know, and that being Jesse Ventura, you know, he was able to win the fact that he was Jesse Ventura probably didn't hurt, you know, that he had been a professional wrestler. He'd been an actor. He'd been, he, he had built an, a name recognition that people said, oh, that guy. Because I mean, if he could run under his real name, they probably would have said, who? You say Jesse Ventura, they're like, oh, the guy from Predator. We know who that is. Maybe we ought to pay attention to him. You know, and that's what I was saying about if Yang runs, it, which I believe he will. He's, he's hinted that he's going to run. And if we run somebody who has no name recognition outside of the Libertarian Party, they might crash and burn. Just my two cents. What do you say? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that it's right that it is harder to get public recognition than people realize. Like, it's easy to talk to echo chambers and think that everyone knows you or agrees with you or whatever, but what What's hard is actually reaching new people and getting them to understand what you're about. And um, I try to imagine sometimes libertarians within the party who are 
maybe going to hold a town hall with a bunch of, you know, democratic senior citizens or something and trying to convince them to support libertarianism. It's not as easy as you might think. And it's especially not easy. It's especially not easy if all of your practice is essentially talking to 25 year old white males who are already really um, libertarian or even toward the anarchist side. If that's your practice, if that's all of your practice, it is hard to reach that other demographic. And, and I think that the party is not familiar enough with that because we don't have enough people who have been in elected office in the past. So they're not used to the difficulties of going out and reaching the broader public. Um, I've experienced it because I had to, as a congressman, convince a bunch of people in my district to vote for a libertarian, someone who is overtly libertarian. I was not shy about it. I always talked about it. When I was at my town halls, I was very explicitly libertarian. Convincing those people to support you, people who are Democrats and Republicans and not in your typical demographics for libertarian libertarianism, that is the challenging part. And that takes a lot of experience, actually, a lot of practice and a particular type of skill. And I do worry that the party is overlooking that and thinking, well, uh, if we just excite a lot of, you know, 20, 25 year old um, white males, we have a chance to really build a party. And I don't think that's going to happen. It seems like there's also a lot of mistaking, like, Internet hype for for what we're translating. <laughs> yes, to absolutely. You know, I, like if I get a lot of real like a lot of retweets or if I get a lot of listeners to my podcast, like that's gonna like that's like the goal when like so many of those people unfortunately aren't going to vote or aren't going to do, you know donate, aren't going to volunteer. Like it's not necessarily growing things in the real world. Not I mean the internet is the real world. I hate actually when people make that that, you know, binary. But it, it's not I don't know. It's it's not that real. Like <laughs> I, I totally agree with you on this in that I used to I used to tell my colleagues about this in Congress. They were so convinced and it's it always seemed weird to me because I was the one using social media in ways that they weren't. Like I was using Facebook to explain all of my votes. I was really using Twitter in a political way long before most of my colleagues were. And I used to explain to them that this is not representative of the public. Like what goes on on Twitter or on Facebook is not representative of the public at at all, not even not even slightly representative. People do not know the things that are going on on Twitter. Like you think that everyone knows about this thing, but actually almost nobody knows about it. Even um like I've had times when people talk to me about what goes on on CNN or Fox News and I'm like, "Do you know that the audience for these things is like 1% of the American public. Yeah. <laughs> like it's like nobody is, they don't even know about um, Don Lemon or Tucker Carlson. Like the average person, if you go down up and down the street is not familiar with these things. And if yet we're so, we're so focused on this. Yeah. Journalists are so bad about this too. And I think just because so many of them are concentrated in DC and New York and don't like, talk to a ton of people outside of their social circles. And it's just like, but yeah, if you talk to like, talk to your college friends who live like anywhere else in the country, talk to your family, like just talk to anybody else. And they're just like, what about like anything that you're mentioning? It's 
felt like the biggest controversy in the world on cable news or on Twitter. Yeah, people are people who vote for the most part are not going to pay really close attention to this. Like they're not they're not spending twenty four seven paying attention to the election. Um, this especially is true as you go down the ballot. Like if you get to like really low level races, but even for our an, an election like the presidential election, people do not pay that much attention to it. So for a third party to take off, there really aren't that many opportunities. You have like a you have a few opportunities to reach these people. They may only hear from the candidate once or twice, and you have to make an impression with them that this is someone you might take a gamble on. You heard this person one time over the course of many months or twice over the course of many months, and you think, yeah, this person seems like a reasonable alternative. There is not going to be a situation where an election – Someone is totally immersed in this world and they're watching like Tucker Carlson every night or they're listening to Joe Rogan every day or Don Lemon or whoever it might be. They, they don't follow politics like that. That's that's the real world. People do not follow politics in that way. They don't follow it like 24-7 like yeah. maybe you and I do or other people who are involved in activism or political work. Like we think – I mean, it's easy for people in our world to think like, "Oh, well, everyone knows about this stuff." Yeah. But but they don't. So you have to make very quick, um, very serious impressions when you have the opportunity. And I don't know. It's not. It's not really about educating people. Politics is not an edu- Like campaigning is not an education for people. Education happens in activism. It does not happen during the um, political aspects of things like a, like a political party or a campaign for office. So I don't know. I do worry that people who have very good intentions, they're well-intentioned, do not actually understand how politics works. And there's some sense in which – and this is a frustrating thing for me – in which they are blue-pilled. And they there's this constant talk about, well, like – People say I'm blue-pilled from time to time, for example. <laughs> like I hear that all the time. I actually have gone out and done it and worked with real people in the real world. I've gone to town halls. I've gone to events. I've gone door-to-door. I've interacted with people on the ground, and I am actually aware of what the world is really like here. Yeah. And there are other people who live in sort of cyberspace, and they're talking in an echo chamber, and they think they're the red-pilled ones. Like they're the ones who are aware of what's going on and that's not true. Like they're not aware of what's going on. The world is not um, you know, a podcast like our podcast here even. This is yeah. not the this is not the world. We're talking right now to like the people listening on this podcast are mostly people who are gonna be interested in pod- in politics. This is not the real world. The real world is I go down the street and I talk to my neighbor uh, or even you know, you can even talk to family members of mine who know very little about Congress, and they had a relative in Congress. You know, that's the real world. Yeah, and- <laughs> I think people need to be more, yeah, more in touch with like people in their real lives about about things. But I don't know. I feel lucky that I've always like been very close to my family in Ohio who are decidedly not political at all. I mean, which is not to say they don't care, but they just don't 
you know, they're a good sounding sounding board for like what people are actually, what, what actually penetrates like off of, you know, the extremely online or the extremely political, like what actually penetrates into real world. Yeah. Yeah. So I wish people like would stop with the red pill, blue pill stuff, because I, my impression is that the people who are often calling people blue pilled are actually in many respects, the blue pilled ones. Like you get people who are not really in the in the world of active politics, not on the ground, not talking to regular people. They're talking to echo chambers and they're calling other people blue-pilled. And it seems very um, – I mean it's totally off, but it seems like you know they should have some self-awareness of, about what they're doing. So let's go to um, our next caller. Let's go to Nicholas. Sorry, can you guys hear me? Yeah, hey, Nicholas. Hey, I I really want to just thank you guys for for doing this, and especially Elizabeth, too, because I I was somebody who was like a social Democrat Bernie kind of guy in high school, and I'm in college now, and I I had a good friend of mine who was a really staunch libertarian, and he showed me a whole bunch of reasons articles and things, and it it really (laughs) pushed me in that direction, and I, I really appreciate, like, the work that goes there and how it really isn't so, like, like uh, polemic, if that makes sense. At least I don't think it's very polemic. <laughs> but um, thank you for that. But anyway, so like I said, I'm kind of like libertarian, curious, and I kind of see myself like of the liberal center in a lot of ways. And I really appreciate, Justin, that you kind of really talk about liberalism in that way as opposed to the American way, because it's something I identify with a lot and um, like more of that European style. But at the same time, I really don't a lot of times feel comfortable identifying as a libertarian per se, because like it, it invokes images of like, you know, like Gadsden flag militia sort of stuff. That's very like American and it's very like aggressively um, like, you know, it's, re- it's really uh, aggressively uh, like more right wing. That's how why I think that sort of comes out a bit more. Yeah. But, Nicholas, when you when you hear the word libertarian and suppose your friends heard that word do they mostly think about right wing yeah definitely i think i I think that's the main idea although not maybe not as much nowadays especially since like because i feel like it's not so much in the zeitgeist anymore like i Mm -hmm. think it's more like it it, like like when i'm on my college campus there's like people who are big trump supporters or there's you know republicans and there's people who are like really aggressively liberal as you know all college campuses are and um, it's like the libertarian sort of instinct doesn't it doesn't there's people out there who are like that, but it's not centered in any one party. I don't think that much. Yeah. But I, I think the one question I kind of had with you is like this distinction between like the liberal because like when I see the libertarian party, it's not something that I feel like I want to associate with, even though I'm like li- of the liberal center because of all these other things that are going around with it. And and it's like, oh, if you're talking about Mises versus Hayek and stuff, and it's like, I like write about some of those guys, but it's like, it doesn't feel very important. And, or like talking about like this very cultural war heavy stuff. It doesn't feel like very real. Um, and I think going back to my kind of talk about the European sort of style, because there's a lot of liberal quote, liberal parties of the liberal center in Europe. And but a lot of those are like squishy centrist parties. And I feel like there's two kind of currents or strategies that the Liberty LP could kind of use, right? Which is kind of go towards that more European style way of looking at it, which is me more of the liberal center. Or it can be this very more idiosyncratic kind of I mean, I I, I think like a lot of the libertarians in the LP 
are, are quite extreme, right? It's like, not to say that they're left or right extreme, but they're extreme. If you want to abolish the state or do like a Nozickian sort of white Washington state, that's quite extreme. And to appeal to a broader swath of the population, like your party has to be more of the center, especially if you're a liberal, I think. I, I was just wondering what you thought of that dichotomy between the states mm -hmm. and Europe. Yeah, so I, I can't speak to what goes on in Europe you know, European politics are, first of all, very diverse, depending on which country you're in. Liberal can mean very different things. And over over the years, of course, it's changed. My view is that right now, libertarians have a real opportunity because the Republican Party and the Democratic Party have each adopted illiberalism. Like, they're, they're largely illiberal parties. Um, they believe in very centralized, top-down, um, coercive measures. They are each adopting a form of nationalism where you know things are very much like about getting power in Washington and then using that to um, force a vision on the rest of America. And it is very... Uh, contrary to liberalism, whereas both parties used to have some real sense of liberalism. Like you could find classical liberalism within both the Republican Party and the Democratic Party for many years, and you don't really find that anymore. So there's an opportunity right now for the Libertarian Party to embrace liberalism in that classical sense and say, we are the party of liberalism. We're the party that uh, is going to bring people together. We're the party of respect, of tolerance, of diversity. We're the party of uh, decentralized uh, governance. We're the party that will uh, stand up to these, you know, the aggressive wars overseas. We're the party that's going to protect your civil rights so and your civil liberties. There's the opportunity for the party to do that right now. And I do worry that by taking more of a hard right stance – they will not attract enough people to make an impact politically. And if your goal is just to draw as many people from the right side of libertarianism into the party, you'll find that you're going to be limited. You're going to, you're going to get to 3%, 5%, and you're going to hit a wall because a lot of those people are going to stick with the Republican Party. Hey, can I they're, just, they're just follow up on one yeah. thing? Yeah, is that – um, like how does, cause I know like once I'm trying to think of like how, like, the, especially the Democrats are, are, would attack, like, especially because I'm coming from that idea is that the one kind of the, a lot of the differences I have with them, especially is on like social insurance state stuff and things like that. And like, Oh, it, maybe the libertarians, yeah, they want to privatize social security. And I remember when Gary Johnson was the, uh, presidential candidate, I know that is stuff that kind of flew around about how, why people who aren't comfortable with Hillary shouldn't vote for him who are more of a left sort of strand of things. And like, I, I just worry that a lot of these things that are connected to the libertarian label per se, that are so extreme, like, like privatizing social security, you can ask, you know, George Bush, how that went politically. Right. Um, or things like that, that are very connected to like this minimal state idea um, that it just, it strikes me as, as not being, like it's, it's one of the things that really like I love all the decentralization and like taking power away from Washington and, and doing things simpler. Right. And 
I think there's a lot of synthesis synthesis that can be had there from you know people that uh, you can read about. You know, like I, I really like the Scanning Center, even though they're not quite libertarian um, anymore. But I I just I find it's it's really it's like a really extreme label that is connected to so many of these ideas. And on the other hand, like the liberal label is so like tainted in the United States because it just means left, right? So it feels like there's no label per se in America that like defines people who would be more like I don't I don't want to be connected to people who are like want the Nozickian state, even though that's you know the minimal state idea. Um, but then in the lab, the liberal label just means oh you're like a Bernie supporter. It, yeah. it feels very weird. Well, I don't know. That's well, the thing that I feel about. I've got a couple things to add, and then Elizabeth, feel free to chime in. But first of all, some of the things you talked about, and you called them extreme, I don't think of them as extreme. On the other hand, what I think is mistaken is the strategy to convince people that they're not extreme. Like, Nicholas, you talk about things that I don't think are extreme. I want the opportunity to convince you that they're not extreme. And I think the mistake that many libertarians make is they're not interested in convincing you. They're interested in telling you that you are just wrong, you're a bad person, and we don't want anything to do with you. Whereas if you come to me and you say, like, I think privatizing Social Security is, like, uh, an extreme idea, and I say, like, I don't think that's an extreme idea, I want to have that conversation with you to persuade you that it's not extreme. I want to persuade you that decentralization is not extreme. I want to persuade you that all of these things are connected to the idea of human cooperation, that actually the reason we have all the progress in society and in the world is because of libertarian ideas. But the problem I face and others face with um, the, the messaging that's coming out now is that there's a, a sense of we don't want people like you to actually be persuaded. We just want to treat you like enemies. And I don't think, uh, I don't think that's going to be conducive to building a big party. So uh, from my perspective, let's try to work on persuasion. Let's talk about um, liberalism. And I know you said, well, uh, that term in the United States means something in particular. I think actually the left has so moved away from the term liberalism by and large that it is available again as a term that can be understood in a, in a different way. The, the left, if you talk to people on the left, they increasingly are actually ashamed of the term liberalism. They don't want to use it. They want to use progressive or even socialism, um, but they they don't want liberalism anymore. So I say – Hey, if they don't want to use it, I'll reclaim it. I don't know, Elizabeth. I don't know if you have anything to add to any of that, or if you were just just that I think it's a. I'm yeah, happy that they don't want it anymore. I'm like, great. Like I thought that this was a lost cause, like ten, fifteen years ago, but now finally, it's like, okay, fine, we'll take it. Great. I, I and I feel much more comfortable using that term than like for myself now that it's separated from like that lefty sort of aspect because I'm not a socialist and I don't feel very connected to that idea at all, even though, you know, a lot of my peers at school definitely do. Um, and I'm, I'm, yeah, like you said, Elizabeth, very glad that <laughs> that's moving in yeah. that direction. I wish, I mean, yeah, I think that a party based on classical liberalism, like is the ideal. And I hope that the libertarian party can continue to be that party, but. Yeah. 
I, I hope so too. All right, thank you guys. Really appreciate and, it. Okay. And yeah, and Nicholas, I'll add one more thing, um, which is that I know you said you don't want to be in a party that has the people pushing what you view as extreme positions or these very you know minimal state positions. But what I would say to you is, first of all, uh, um, I think that people like you who are very open to these ideas and willing to consider them can have a conversation with people like me and we can get to a place where you'll feel comfortable. And anytime you have a political party, you're going to have people who have views that are not quite aligned. In the Republican Party, you have that. In the Democratic Party, you have that. Um, I've pointed this out before. In the Republican Party, you have Lindsey Graham and Rand Paul in the same party. They do not agree on a whole bunch of things. In the Democratic Party, you've got Bernie Sanders and Joe Manchin in the same party. They do not agree on a whole bunch of things. Similarly, in the Libertarian Party, you can have people who are more toward the anarchist side, and you can have people who are more toward the classical liberal side. And these people can work within the same party. The, the, the idea for the party, though, is to find the sweet spot. What is that spot that attracts the greatest number of people that doesn't necessarily please every anarchist and doesn't necessarily please every person who would view themselves as a liberal like like you, Nicholas, but is the sweet spot where we can get the greatest number of people to join us to at least try to move things in the right direction versus what the Republicans and Democrats are doing, which is completely the wrong direction in my opinion. All right, let's go to our next caller, Emma. Hi. Uh, I was wondering what you guys think of the post-liberal movement that we're seeing that's being born right now that shows up in the writings of people like Patrick Deneen and this new magazine, Compact, that calls itself a radical American journal. Um, I consider myself some form of libertarian, and I'm very opposed to wokeism and leftist control of speech and control of art and expression. But I do have a lot of the same grievances as these post-liberals because I am a religious person, I'm a Christian, but ultimately they're not just against liberalism as in the Democratic Party, they're against classical liberalism itself, which seems clearly anti-American to me, and it's obviously explicitly anti-libertarian. So I'm just curious if you have any thoughts on that. Um. I mean, yeah, again, I think it just it speaks to the, the turn in, in both the traditional left and right away from from liberalism that that gives libertarians an opportunity, because hopefully we are a place that is welcoming to people who are more Christian and more conservative and also people who are the complete opposite of that, because because that's what classical liberalism does. Like it makes space for a plurality of, of different sort of personal views on things. Um, yeah, I guess I'm looking like, for, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm looking for that kind of classic American, like tolerance and like live and let yeah. live sensibility that just seems so lost right now. Yeah. I'm, yeah. It's upsetting. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you on that, Emma, that I, I think classical liberalism properly understood is open to things like tradition 
And in yeah. fact, when you talk about people like Hayek, who's one of my <laughs> heroes, he is very much a person who believed in the idea of um, the importance of tradition, the importance of spontaneously created institutions that um, we should respect things that have evolved over many, uh, many years. That doesn't mean you don't question those things. It doesn't mean you might not say we don't, this is not the right thing for our country, but you should have some respect. You should be cautious about just discarding traditions and discarding things that have been built up over many years. So, there is a very strong sense of traditionalism within libertarianism, within classical liberalism at least. And the this movement you're talking about, which some call the national conservative movement, is mischaracterizing liberalism or, or libertarianism. You know, they they talk explicitly about being against libertarianism and being against liberalism, and they're mischaracterizing it. They're looking at things that have um gone wrong that are not actually liberal issues, not not things that liberals have done wrong, but where liberalism was not followed, and then they're blaming the, the problems on liberalism. So they'll say, well, um, you know, there's, there's this kind of corruption or there's this kind of um, government, you know, cronyism with businesses where the businesses are getting special treatment from the government or whatever. And then they're blaming it on liberalism when actually what they should be criticizing is the fact that liberalism was not followed. So when you look at the movement as a whole, and I've spent some time studying what they're saying, a lot of their grievances are just uh, misapplied or misguided. Like they think that liberalism is the, uh, is at fault here when actually, and I'm talking about classical liberalism, of course, when actually the fault is that liberalism was not followed, mm-hmm. and and they're and they're somehow blaming it on liberalism. So, um, and then at the same time, they want to enforce some kind of top-down um, form of governance, some sort of like this is why national is in the name, like national conservative. They want to enforce some kind of values from on top, from a top on everyone in the country, and that's not right either. You know, that's yeah, not, they're, they're very like they're very clearly wrong about that. Some of them even call for monarchy. Uh-huh. You know, they're they're against the you'll have some of them within that movement who are monarchists. They're against the idea of democracy altogether, and within libertarianism, although there are some people like on the very right of libertarian to the, to the right side of libertarianism who have criticized democracy, those who are within the classical liberal part of libertarianism, especially like Mises and Hayek and others uh, before them are very supportive of democracy, not because democracy is perfect and not because we're talking about some kind of unlimited democracy, like just majoritarianism, but because you have to have some method uh, of governance that is broadly accepted when you're talking about big organizations like a, like a, you know a state or a country there has to be some method that is broadly acceptable to people and the only method that prevents um, violence from happening continuously or just you know those who have the most power taking over is some kind of democratic system and and again it's not a like a 
simple majoritarianism, a democratic system with constitutional limits on what can be done democratically, which is what our Bill of Rights is. So bottom line for me is classical liberalism, the Libertarian Party itself can be the home for a very traditional sort of Americanism. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'd love to see the party do is embrace that and say like we are – we are the home for traditional American principles. American mm-hmm. America was founded on many of the things we believe in, and uh, we want people who believe in that to come here. You know, we believe in a uh, a representative system. We believe in uh, protecting people's rights. We believe broadly in people being able to make decisions for themselves rather than having decisions imposed on them by others. I I want that kind of party it sounds amazing (laughs) libertarians are like radicals like it's so strange because it's like we're actually the ones that are defending what are long-standing american principles and understandings of the relationship between people and the state like this is this is not a radical idea the other two parties have moved into two radical realms and like we're sort of i feel like holding down the middle yeah and i think that term is is always contextual so like you are right that from an American perspective, it's not really radical. But I think sometimes the reason that libertarians themselves have embraced the term radical or classical liberals even have is because compared to world history and yeah. the broader the broader politics of history, it is radical. Yeah. Uh, but within within the American realm, within like our own history here, there's nothing really radical about it. It's, it has been the tradition of America from the beginning, not always properly followed, and in some time, and in some cases, egregiously not followed. Like, for example, with slavery, um, and the way women have been treated in the past. You know, there are there are many ways in which liberalism was not followed the way that it was supposed to be um, followed, as laid out in the principles. But I, you know, many of those things have been corrected over time, and I think that as a party, we should embrace this view of liberalism that is yeah. um, broadly accepted by the American public. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Let's go to David. Hey guys, thanks for having me on. Uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on electoral strategy. Um, I wanted to kind of start with briefly a little story. Uh, Some people have heard of the company American Motors, which used to make automobiles. Mm -hmm. In the 50s and 60s, they were making really small automobiles, for the time anyway, and a lot of economy cars. And in the late 60s, they decided to switch strategies and compete with the other car makers and make a bunch of big cars, luxury cars, and muscle cars. And they did that right at the worst possible time, because shortly after, the gas crisis hit. And if they had been making their smaller cars, they might have taken over and been the biggest company. And I think that sometimes the LP does this kind of thing, where we're less focused on our own strong points and more on competing with the Republicans and Democrats. And one of the ways this happens is focusing on the same states that they do and sort of wanting to be competitive with them 
And, you know, I almost get the impression sometimes that, that a lot of the people in the party really like the idea of being called a spoiler because maybe we can get some media attention that way, which I can understand why we'd want that. But I think that's unhelpful because that just makes the other parties try even harder to stomp us out. And I think a better strategy might be if we focused on states that are very lopsided. For example, Utah. I can tell you right now, Utah's going to vote Republican in the next election. So maybe if we focused our efforts in a state like Utah, right, or in maybe Washington, D.C., where they always vote Democrat, uh, we would have a we could avoid the oh, you're a spoiler thing. And maybe we could start gaining major party status in certain states and start building up that way. I want your thoughts on that. So I guess I'll start. Um, I'm the politician, uh, or at least a, at least a former one. So I guess I'll start with this. Um, I think you have to run a 50-state strategy as a party. Now, I totally agree with you that there are places like Utah – that are perfect locations for libertarians to really push hard, work hard, and try to build up a movement because you have a culture that is, from my perspective, broadly libertarian um, within a state like Utah. And they are very open to our ideas. Now, the type of libertarianism that I think people in Utah would would embrace is more of a classical liberalism. And I feel very strongly about that. But if you focus just on a few states, I think you will not adequately grow the party. People have to believe that this party is a national party for it to be successful. Um, so I really do think you have to have high-level candidates across the country, even if it means that you get called a spoiler in some cases. And I believe you have to run national-level marketing for the party. You know, they're trying to do this a little bit with the with the new sort of social media strategy by being more aggressive. As long as they're aggressive and bold and, and don't say things that intentionally alienate a whole bunch of people, I think that that can be useful. I think it can be useful to be bolder and, and more aggressive with your social media strategy. But that only gets you so far. I, I do think there needs to be broader messaging, broader advertising beyond what we have. And you also need to have those um, individuals, and I might be one of them, who have political experience, who have a background um, – in sort of the more professional world of politics who can go out and make the case for the libertarian party to people who are not just your, um, you know, typical 25 year old white male who's, who's going to be drawn to the party more naturally. Like we need to reach people much beyond that. So I, I'm personally of the view you have to have a very broad strategy and not a narrow strategy, even though I understand the point that uh, there are some places where maybe libertarians could make some real headway. But um, I, think if, I think if it looks like your party is only trying in a few states, it doesn't look like you are a, a real party. And, and we saw a little bit of this 
um, with the Evan McMullen campaign last time around. You know, he ran and he ran uh, very specifically in Utah. Even though he was running a national election, he focused so much on Utah. And he did quite well in Utah, actually. But he did very poorly in many other states. And that's because it looked like he was just focused on Utah. And I think that if you look like you're just focused on one state, the other people are not going to take you seriously. And it might be that your party actually gains a lot of momentum in one state, but that doesn't go anywhere anywhere else. And you see a little bit of this – I don't know, um, uh, David, where you live, but you see a little bit of this in New York, for example, where you have a lot of different parties running uh, because of the way their ballot works. But outside of New York, there's not really much to it. You know, like the parties don't really exist. So – I don't know if you have any follow-up, David, but that's my take. Yeah, I, uh, I agree with all that. I want to be clear. I, I do think we need a broad national strategy. I guess I was referring to sort of you, nobody ever ends up with, like, infinite money, infinite time, and so on. So when you're allocating how much how much of your focus you want to relatively spend more here or there, I feel like shifting s- – a little less of it to a place like Ohio where people are going to be much more likely to be afraid to vote for a third party might be a useful strategy. Uh, Yeah, I understand what you're saying, but what I will tell you is I think the party will never grow incrementally. It will only grow via some sort of revolution. And I mean a peaceful revolution to be clear, (laughs) like it has to be something revolutionary. It's not going to grow because we did, you know, kind of well in Utah or kind of well in some other state and it just like or we had like a bunch of county county commission races we won. It will not grow that way. Parties develop very rapidly and very like just very abruptly. Um, when you look throughout history, the parties that were successful, which of course the Republican Party was at one point around the time of the Civil War um, and you have, of course, the you originally had the Democratic, Republican, and the Federalist Party. These parties grew very rapidly um, out of nothing to becoming major parties because they had major figures tied to them. Might be um, Thomas Jefferson or John Adams or Abraham Lincoln. They had major figures who gained a lot of notoriety or popularity nationally, and they erupted out of nothing very quickly. You don't see, at least in the United States context, parties that are like, well, you know, they built it up over 100 years, and then eventually they were the major party. Like, these parties will happen, if you're doing it right, it's going to happen in like three, four, five years maximum. Okay, so Justin, can I ask you a question? Yeah, sure. It's actually like two parts. Like, does so this means that you kind of disagree with what's sort of been like a libertarian party strategy? Like, can we just get people like like for county commissioner or like local yeah. office? Um, and then also like, and this is why I to be clear, party could grow. Like, do you yeah. think a new party could be born at this point in history in the so, United States? Yes, but it has to happen very fast. And and to be clear, Elizabeth, this is why I was I said. I'm not sure the Mises strategy is a good one, but I didn't say that I like the old strategy. Yeah. 
The old strategy was a bad one. You are not going to grow a party. And I used to get into arguments with the with the former leadership of the party. And again, I'm going to say this again. I have very good relationships with a lot of them. They're my friends. I, this is not an attack on particular people. But the parties existed, and I've only been in the party since 2020. And and so I can't, you know, I'm, I'm speaking mostly about what happened over 50 years, not over just a couple of years. So over that 50 years of time, the strategy seemed to be very much like, well, if we win enough nonpartisan county commission races, eventually people will embrace libertarianism because their county commissioner is libertarian. The No, it's never going to happen. People – I don't even know yeah. – like I'm not even sure. I got to tell you, I'm not even sure who my county commissioner is. Not even sure. And I'm. Sh- I would suspect that most people across the country are not sure who yeah. their county commissioner is. Uh, I have a hard time keeping track of who my state representative is, and I served in that seat. I was the state representative <laughs> for my district, and I have a hard time telling you. I think I know who it is, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. So, so the idea that. We're going to build a libertarian party because a bunch of nonpartisan county commissioners got elected is ridiculous. It's not going to happen. You have to have some kind of catalyst and you have to have a figure or a few figures even who can go out and sell it to people. Now, uh, I'm not trying to say there's a particular figure like, like who is that figure. But what I am saying is that has to be the strategy. That has to be the strategy. Whether it's me or another person or another person, that has to be the strategy. You have to have you, you have ever... to you have to get behind someone. Do, actually, Donald Trump, as much as I disagreed with him on politics, and he was he was terrible on policy in so many respects. Not a libertarian. He was a big government crony. But for all of his faults, Donald Trump is evidence of this strategy. Yeah. Donald Trump was a very good campaigner, and he's evidence of this strategy. Now, I'm not saying the Libertarian Party has a Donald Trump figure. Donald Trump is a unique figure, right? Most most people are not like Donald Trump, some kind of celebrity who's pretty well-known, really charismatic, and has no shame. Like that's, I mean, in some ways, that was a superpower for him, that he had no shame. So the, I'm not saying we have that kind of thing, but he's evidence of this strategy, Donald Trump had so many barriers in the way to becoming the president of the United States. So many. Like if you look institutionally, there was almost no way for Donald Trump to do it from just like the traditional political perspective. But it actually proves my point that despite all the traditional political beliefs that this is not the way to do it, it actually was the way to do it. Donald Trump was able to barrel through everything. Because he was larger than life, he drew a large uh, crowd, he had a lot of supporters, and as a result, the, the normal barriers that are in the way, they, they wash away, they go away. Like if you're worried about ballot access, if you have a figure in your party who is a real catalyst for growth, all of those concerns go away. If you're worried about we don't have enough volunteers, that goes away. You're worried about we don't have enough, have enough money. That goes so that problem goes away too. The if you have the right person going out and selling the message, the barriers just fall away. 
And if Donald Trump had tried the same – like let's say the MAGA movement, instead of having Donald Trump become – you know, run for president, let's suppose instead of that, the, the MAGA movement just said we're going to go get like 10,000 county commissioners <laughs> like <laughs> or, or whatever, okay? I can assure you – the Yeah, I can assure you there would be no MAGA movement today. They would have gotten nowhere. Like no one would care about them one bit. And if Donald Trump had run for mayor of New York, he would have been laughed out of the city and wouldn't have amounted to anything. But because he ran for president, it was a bold move. He got people behind him. That's why it worked. If so, if if the Libertarian Party goes off the rails or can't get a bold move together and, you know, we're already going out to gears. So you said like, you've got like hundred, like, you know, if, if it doesn't, would you ever consider being a part of some like new party, like a classical liberal party or something like that? Do you think there's like any hope in that? Or is that just the total, a total pipe dream? I, I don't like to say like never, I'd never do this or that about just about <laughs> anything. But I joined the Libertarian Party to grow the Libertarian Party. I believe it's the right place. When I go to Libertarian conventions and talk to people, I feel at home. People might think, for example, with this um, you know, so-called Mises takeover of the convention and all that, they might think, well, someone like Justin Amash, maybe he doesn't feel as home there. I went to the convention. I felt very welcome there. I like the people. They are not all fascists and nationalists and all the other accusations that are being thrown about. These are uh, by and large, not every person is a good person, but mostly good people who care about this country. And I feel at home with them in trying to grow something new. I'm just trying to caution them about the strategy. That's all. I think these, these are people who um, if they devote their energy and enthusiasm to to the right strategy can make a big difference, and so I'd like to see that. Um, if if they don't do that, if they decide to run a strategy that I think will not work and do a lot of damage to the party, I, you just don't know what happens to the party. You yeah. just don't know. And again, I'll repeat it for people who didn't hear me earlier. This is not a defense of the old strategy. I'm against the old strategy. The old strategy was not good. We need to be bolder. We need to be more aggressive. The Mises people are correct about that. They're correct about being bolder and more aggressive. The question is the strategy, like who are you trying to appeal to? You can be bold and aggressive and still appeal to a very broad electorate. Um, And I think that's important. I think that we need to do that. David, you got any uh, follow-up before we go to the next question? That was interesting. Thank you. All right. Thanks, David. Let's go to John. John, you there? John? John is unmuted, so I don't know. John? Is it not working? Hmm. I want to like do mute once for yes, mute twice for no. 
All right, John. It must be uh, on his end somewhere. It's okay. Um, maybe there's something going on with his uh, microphone on his device. We'll go to Jeremy. John, if you want to, if you figure it out and want to get back in the queue, feel free. We'll go to Jeremy for now. All right. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. All right. Thank you very much for having me on. I, I wanted to kind of uh, maybe bring it back to something uh, that Elizabeth was um, being able to weigh in uh, from her perspective. I, I'm curious, generally speaking, how does the Libertarian Party appeal to the, the half of the country that's female? Uh, because I think we've got white guys down, but maybe maybe figuring out things that uh, will appeal uh, to the other half of the country might be uh, beneficial. Yeah. So, and I, I actually, I co-founded and, and helped run a group called Feminists for Liberty, which is trying to sort of um, bring back libertarian feminism, which is just like traditional feminism, like I, well. Uh, uh, individualist feminism, you know, which is like a long tradition in, in American history is what I meant to say. Like, and to sort of show that the left does not have a, uh, a stranglehold on, on, you know, women's issues or gender issues because I think that I think that there's a, we've sort of seeded that, like whenever it comes to things that are, that are quote unquote women's issues, we sort of like libertarians have sort of said like, ah, that's like not, not our realm. We shouldn't weigh in on that. And I think that I mean, first of all, I think that anything that is just a, a plain old libertarian issue is, is women are interested in. Like, I, I don't want to mean to say that, like, women need some special subset of issues in order to, to be attracted. But I do think that there's a lot of things that that libertarianism has historically just sort of overlooked that, that affect women than men. And that being more involved in, in those areas could help us to to get you know, maybe women more interested who just to hope women who are not familiar with libertarianism. Um, like, I, I don't know off the top of my head. I mean, just like, obviously the, you know, things like a lot of them are opposing the left on things like, you know, on, on mandating sort of a uh, equal pay or something like that. And just sort of showing why that might be bad for women. But, the, but there are also things where I think libertarians have solutions that are, that are popular. Like, um, for, for instance, like over-the-counter birth control, like, you know, like your basic birth control pills are very safe. Um, and, you know, the American College of Gynecologists says they should be available over-the-counter. A lot of people on the left and right agree. And this like that could be an area where I think libertarians could attract, like, young women who care about, you know, um, contraceptive access and stuff. And, like, just, just sort of thinking about issues where maybe historically we haven't, we haven't been super involved could be a way to to get women sort of just thinking about libertarianism in the first place. And then I don't think we need like a special strategy once they sort of know what libertarian is. Like, I think there are an equal amount of women that care about liberty and, and care about, you know, classical liberalism and freedom. Elizabeth, why do you think the party currently does not reach many women? Like when you go to the convention, I know what we have, like you talked about some of the things we should be doing from your perspective. But when you go to the convention, it is largely white men. And 
why do you think that is? I mean, is there, is it um, a cultural thing? Is it that we're we're just not saying the right things? Because when I think of libertarianism, I think of you know equality before the law and due process and uh, protection of rights, and these seem like things that should be broadly supported and um, should draw a pretty big coalition. But they don't. They seem to draw a lot of uh, young white men. And is that an indication that those people are joining for the wrong reason or that we are not reaching the other people? I think it's a couple of things. And, and, and some of them have nothing to do with like libertarians per se. Um, one thing that does is, I mean, I know. So first of all, I know a ton of female libertarians. Um, especially like people that are working in, in, you know, professional libertarianism, whether like journalists or PR people or at think tanks or in activism groups. Like I'd say I know an equal amount of, of men and women who are, who are working in professional libertarianism. I have a ton of women friends who are libertarians. So, I, I mean, I think I think that in the younger generations, the ratio is not as bad at all as it, as it has been historically. And I think we're making a lot of progress already. Um I think that part of the reason why we don't have more is just that, I mean, like men are, are more active in all sorts of politics in the United States. And especially when you think about like intense interest in, in politics, like it doesn't, it doesn't matter what party, like you find that men are more interested. I don't, I don't know why that is. I think you can sort of speculate a lot of reasons, but um, you know, and when, when you think of areas that have historically gotten people into libertarianism, because it is more of a, a fringe um, politics, you know, it's not like one that everybody just sort of grows up knowing about. It's often through things like, um, you know, or taking a political science class or, or things like that, things that have historically been more male heavy. So I think it's almost like ancillary that more men have been exposed to libertarian ideas than, than women have historically. And that kind of contributes to it. Um, so mostly I don't blame libertarians. Although I do talk to, and, and with Feminist for Liberty, we talk to a lot of young women who are like, oh my God, I'm so happy I found you guys' group because like I joined some online Facebook group for libertarians or like I got involved in a, a student group that was, you know, Republican but said it had libertarian leanings. And then like people were just terrible to me. People were just like very sexist and out, just like outright sort of sexist. And, and I have seen some of this online and I, I don't think at all that this is like the bulk of the libertarian movement, liberty movement. It, it has not been my experience because I've been lucky enough to sort of come up into libertarianism through exposure to, to professional libertarian groups that are not like student groups or random online Facebook groups. But I think that a lot of those groups are sort of boys clubby and can turn a lot of younger women who are off. Uh, first getting exposed to it off. Like I've had a lot of young women say to me, like I thought I was into libertarianism and then I like joined this Facebook group for libertarians and people were like sexually harassing me or just like being super sexist. And, and I just was like, never mind, this isn't a group for me. And some of them have then come back and then like, I still believe in it and I'm happy to see you guys as a group. And it makes me, you know, think that there is a place for me in the movement. But I do think that some spaces have been, have been sort of unwelcoming to, to younger women. And I wonder if it's related to this increasing divide you see in the Republican and Democratic Party where Democrats are increasingly 
the party of women and Republicans are increasingly the party of men. Like you're seeing that shift and maybe there is this view out there, at least from my perspective, that to the extent people do identify the Libertarian Party as having a lean, they tend to view it as being on the right and, and maybe even on the extreme right. And that perhaps colors the view of people who are not that familiar with libertarianism at, at all and um, and women who already tend to lean left a little more than men are just not exposed to libertarian thought really in the same yeah, way they, like they don't they're turned off immediately because they think they hear it's it's they hear it's like an extreme right and they're like oh well I'm turned off immediately like you wouldn't believe how many of the replies um on Twitter that I get are people from the left coming in and suggesting all sorts of things about libertarians that are not true. Like there's this broad sense, for example, that libertarians are like, like overwhelmingly pro-life, which is like not, not accurate. Now I am pro-life. This is one area where we've, we've had disagreements, but the libertarian party is very split on this yeah. issue and libertarians generally have a very split view on it. So, but there's, that's not as the, that is not the general sense of the public. Like I think the public generally, especially women who come in and to my replies, they think that it's like some kind of like Gilead or something from the handmaids. <laughs> like you guys are trying to run some kind of like, you know, male oligarchy. It is so weird because, yeah, like, if you're talking about the Libertarian Party, if you're talking about Reason Magazine, if you're talking about, like, any facet of it, like, we've been very, a lot of it has been very vocally pro-choice for so long. Yeah. But it's, it's the That's same right. thing with, like, with just, people have weird ideas, they think, about, like, the effect of, of liberalism for women in general. Like, another thing we try to do with Feminist Liberty is stress that, like, free speech is good for women. Like, capitalism has been good for women. Capitalism has arguably been, like, the best thing for women's advancement. Like, way better for women's advancement throughout the past, throughout history than, than government mandates. But, like, there's just this sort of, like, weird idea that, like, free markets are actually bad for women. And it's, and it's really hard to overcome. So I think that's actually, like, another area where we could be stressing more. Like, people focusing on how, like... Actually, like so many advancements that women have made in the past, you know, a few hundred years have come because of free markets, not because of government mandates. Sure. 100%. And restrictions on speech and various other government restrictions were often implemented in the past to try to prevent people like women, like ethnic minorities from participating in the process the way that they should be allowed to participate. Right. So. And even today, like when when laws are even, oh, like they're going to we're going to crack down on hate speech or whatever. We're going to, you know, crack down on these dominant groups or these ideas that are intolerant that we don't like. Like in practice, they still end up coming down hardest on women and on, you know, various marginalized groups. Like it just inevitably like the government will end up using them or even if it's not right, then like the next government administration will like you just can't. A restriction is going to come down on people who are more, have less power in general. Yeah, one hundred percent. And same with things like domestic terrorism laws. Oh yeah. Like oh, for sure. Like people on the left have a tendency to think, oh well, we just got to get those white nationalists. But actually, what's right. going to happen in practice is there will be people of Middle Eastern background, like like me. You know, my my dad is Palestinian, my mom is Syrian. Um, people of other sort of like ethnic backgrounds. 
who have been traditionally abused by the police who will take the brunt of it. Yeah. <laughs> and they will they will be the ones who are prosecuted under various um, laws. And then a lot of other people who have more ability to access lawyers or have more general public support are the ones who are going to be um, – you know, better off under that system, or at least you know, not harmed as not harmed as much. So, yeah, it's uh, it is uh, a scary thing. Let's go to John. Let's see if we can make John work out this time. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you. Awesome. Um, I'm a software engineer by trade and Murphy's law means that will happen to me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, my, uh, the conversation is great. Uh, it's been broad and I've, I've really enjoyed the commentary around like LP strategy. Um, uh, disclosure from me, I've been a party member since like 2012, um, got more active later on, um, and kind of seen some waves of it that I've like, Agree, disagreed with and agreed with. I really, really agree with the point around like the uh, going about for committee members and ran in very small areas isn't going to grow the party all that well. Um, but a big uh, conversation, at least on the national level, with Gary Johnson at the time too, is just like, can you guys throw us a bone and give us five percent um, so we can shake up, you know, electoral politics a bit. Um, uh, it, that's simplifying to some some degree. And Justin, you often talk about how the you know congressional process is is broken, um, and that rhymes a little bit. Um, do you do you? I guess in some. And my question is to you um, is just more like how do you how do you double down on that kind of bold message as well to kind of sell people or um, uh, um, more broadly speaking? And then I guess if I could also just have one quick question for Elizabeth. Uh, to would be around since you have signed on uh, to the Libertarian Party back in 2020 or a little bit earlier. Um, could you maybe dive into that a little bit, bit more too, and maybe describe? Does the are there any lessons there that apply broadly as well, um, or are they kind of just specific to you because you're we're all libertarian nerds? Thank you, guys. Yeah, thanks, John. So I would say that. This is another area where the Libertarian Party could make a lot of headway if they want to, but it seems like they're not going to do that. It's it's a criticism, again, I've had of the Libertarian Party for many years, and I think that this is, um, you know, at least since I've joined, so I don't want to say many years, but since I since I joined the party, and because uh, I've only been in the party for, you know, it's my third year. But I, what I would say is, they should focus on where the two parties are not working. Like what is – what are the two parties getting completely wrong? That is, an, uh, that is an opportunity that is so perfect for the Libertarian Party and yet the Libertarian Party continually, continuously misses the mark, doesn't go for it. Um, a good example of this is the, the way in which Congress is broken – the whole political system is broken. We have essentially an oligarchical system. Now, I know that there are libertarians, especially in the you know the new leadership, who will say things like, "Our government is bad, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. But 
when it gets down to the details of like what's wrong with our system, they're not really that keen on touching it because I think there's a sense that they want to shoot for the stars, which is we don't really like the government at all. Like we're not for the federal government at all. So why would we want to tell people how to fix it? And that's a problem. Like when you're running a national political party, people don't want to hear just like get rid of the federal government. They want to understand what's wrong with the federal government and what can be addressed. Like how can you how can you address the problems within the federal government? I don't think we're going to disband the federal government anytime soon. There's going to be a federal government. Now, the, the the new people can come in and say like, oh well, we should like have secession, we all this other stuff. That in the near future, for the very distant future, in my opinion, there will be a federal government. So the question is, how do we operate within this federal system, and how do we make sure that the federal government isn't abusing power? And if you had a system um, the way that it was intended, which is a federal government that is focused primarily on national defense and ensuring freedom of trade, which is really what the federal government should be mostly focused on, at least from a, like a pure legislative standpoint, national defense and, and freedom of trade, that is a system that can work very well with libertarian philosophy. We, there's there's no harm in having, for example, a union of states that have agreed to form a united force against foreign threats, threats from the outside that threaten our system here. And what what system do we have here? We have a system of free trade, free markets. It's a system that is um, between all the states. And... And so I think the party should focus on those kinds of things. I think the party should focus on what's wrong with Congress, how there's a a top-down structure where the Speaker of the House decides everything. And I want them to come out and say – I want the party to say, look, this is how we can make it better. We can make the system work more the way it was intended to work, a representative system, a liberal democracy. But the problem is that the party right now is afraid to talk about that stuff. They're afraid to talk about representative government. They're afraid to talk about the D word democracy because to them democracy is viewed to many of them, not all of them. To many, it's – I mean within the leadership, not rank-and-file members. It's viewed as an affront to liberty. But if you go back and read Mises and Hayek and many other liberals and libertarians in the past, democracy is not viewed as an affront to liberty. What's an affront to liberty is unlimited government. Unlimited government. Unlimited democracy can be dangerous, of course, and it is dangerous. The same way that unlimited monarchy is dangerous. But there are only so many types of governments to choose from. And if you're talking about something like the federal government, which, as I said, is going to exist, the best system we can have right now is a representative democratic system that is limited by our constitution, where the government is limited by the constitution, 
where we strongly enforce the Bill of Rights and the protection of rights. And I'm afraid that the party doesn't really want to talk about that because as soon as they start talking about that, they have to cede um, you know, this idea they, – they basically have to give up on the idea that we're all about getting rid of the federal government. Right Now you're talking about solutions, how you can fix things, and they have to then say, well, um, actually, well, we're more moderate than you might think. We're actually into some solutions about the government. And it's a, it's a real opportunity right now. It's, that's what's sad. They could go out and say, look, um, why haven't people been able to amend legislation on the House floor since 2016? You can't actually bring an amendment to the House floor, introduce it, and have it voted on since 2016. It's completely top-down. All the legislations take it or leave it. Why aren't members of Congress given any time to read legislation? I want them to talk about this stuff because it's compelling to the American people. I know it's compelling because I ran on this stuff for years and talked to my constituents about it and worked hard on it and drafted legislation – in connection with it, and that all of those efforts were popular within my district. People like to see that, and it brought people closer to libertarianism. The, if you want to get to a more limited government, a more decentralized system, first resolve this problem. When people elect their members of Congress, those members of Congress should be able to represent them. Resolve that one. And if we can resolve that, then we can start talking about other things too. And if you want to bring in your more, you know, even broader decentralized ideas, I think that's great. But let's resolve the the issues right in front of us and contrast with the Democrats who are anti-democracy. Despite all they claim, the Democrats are strongly anti-democracy. The Republicans are anti-democracy. Let's let's use that to our advantage. The American people are not anti-democracy. The Democrats and Republicans are. Libertarians traditionally are not against democracy either. So we have – this is like a perfect opportunity for us. We have an issue – Mises wrote a whole chapter on democracy. Hayek wrote chapters on democracy. We have an issue that works to our advantage against these two parties, and we're not using it. We're just ignoring it because we're too afraid to sound like we we are supportive of any sort of government. And I think that's a real shame. I think that, I mean we're we're losing a, a tremendous opportunity. In any case, I could go on forever, so I won't. I, uh, Elizabeth probably forgot what was asked of her at this point. I, I do think I did. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember what was asked? I mean, I, did, I didn't quite understand the question. Okay. John, John, can you tell us again? Sure. Uh, though, I, I got my pitchfork ready now, too. I'm riled up. Um, the, uh, I guess just the question, you touched on it a bit earlier. I just wish you could dive in maybe a little bit more about like what drew you into joining the Libertarian Party and if there's anything there that also pro- applies more broadly. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how to say it also without – sounding too negative about the Libertarian Party, like, historically. Um, I think that I just did think that it it's, was not 
important to advancing liberty, I guess, is what I thought. Like, I felt like it did spend too much, like, my, my sense throughout most of my life as a libertarian was just like the Libertarian Party was just sort of too focused on local races, too focused on infighting um, and things like that. And it was just like, it's not, not it. You know, there are, there are better ways to spread liberty. There are better ways, especially to, like, we need to be outward facing and not inward facing. We need to be, you know, trying to influence people, like, on the national level. Um, you know, like, sort of, like Justin was saying, except not through politics, but, like, you know, like, Reason Magazine, like, our aim is to sort of inject ourselves into, like, the national political conversation and, and reach out to people who aren't necessarily with us 100%, but reach out to people who might be with us on, on various issues and stuff. So I think that I was just sort of always turned off the Libertarian Party for that reason. And I thought, like, you know, we can make a difference by influencing Republican and Democratic politicians, too, when we're talking about electoral politics. But, like, it did just become more and more clear over the past 10 years that like they I think both parties have become yes like increasingly anti-liberal and so it became harder and harder to to justify the idea that we could work through either party I mean and historically like libertarians have have worked through the right and I think especially it was like yeah we're not going to be working through the right anymore but then you're like well maybe we can make inroads to the left and then you look at that and you're just like nope the modern left is not going to help us at all either so I think, you know, that concurrent with the fact that I do think that the Libertarian Party has has gotten better. And, um, you know, as again, as Justin has said many times, I don't 100 percent agree with the the way that it the strategy. But I do think that it has been making inroads at, at trying to be, you know, more more outward facing and, and reaching out to different parties and not just sort of relying on on and sort of reaching out to other libertarians. So um, both, I think that I thought it was getting better. And also I thought that even if it wasn't getting better, like it's never going to get better if a lot of us libertarians have sort of considered ourselves apart from it, which I think is the case with a lot of like people who work in libertarianism um, that, that consider themselves small libertarians. It's just like, whatever, that's just like not, thing that we need to care about and I think that too many of us have maybe thought that historically and that is not helping to advance the party and so um, I think I'm sort of just talking in circles at this point but I do I do wish that more people who are who are working in libertarianism outside or just like interested in libertarianism but think that we don't need an electoral vehicle would start taking it seriously because I think then that that could help help make it more um, outward facing, I guess. And if you'll allow me, I want to go back to something I was talking about because I want to make sure, since I said, look, we should be focused more on things like democracy and our institutions and how we want to make them work. And I pointed out the Democrats are anti-democracy. And I know that some of you who are listening You'll have Democrats come in and say, no, we're pro-democracy. We Democrats, we love democracy. It's the Republicans who are against democracy. So I want to make sure you're clear since I'm talking about this strategy, and I'm sure we have a lot of libertarians listening in. I want to be clear to you about what I'm talking about so you can say to the Democrats and point out and point out to other people why the Democrats are – and in which way the Democrats are opposed to democracy. 
for for all of their talk about how we have to make sure people have voting rights, the Democrats in positions of power like Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer do not believe that your representatives and senators should have the right to vote on your behalf. In other words, they may talk all they want about you going to the polls and voting for them. But when it comes to the people in office who can actually represent you, those people are prohibited from representing you. And what kind of democracy is that where you can vote for whoever you want, but then they have no power whatsoever? Like that's not democracy. It's not democracy if you can vote for Justin Amash for Congress, but then Justin Amash goes to Congress and when it comes to offering amendments or introducing legislation, you are completely shut out by the leadership. And I don't just mean Justin Amash. I mean every member of Congress. It's not just because I'm libertarian. Even the Democrats are shut out by the Democratic leaders. You think AOC can go on the floor and offer an amendment? She can't. You think like even though take a moderate Democrat if you, you know, or anyone, they can't go on the floor and offer anything. There is no way to get your legislation actually uh, introduced onto the floor and on and voted on. You can't do it. Floor amendments have been prohibited since 2016, and legislation is not brought to the floor unless the speaker wants it to come to the floor. So what you have in essence is a bunch of take-it-or-leave-it pieces of legislation. Sure – your representative can ultimately vote on the final bill, which is drafted by someone else, which they have no part in drafting. They have no part in it, like a lobbyist and maybe some congressional leadership staff and some others drafted it. And they sure, they get to vote on it, but the outcome is already fixed by the time they vote on it. It's fixed. They know the Democratic leadership, just like the Republican leadership, they know how many votes they need. And they will twist arms to get those votes, and you're either with them or you're against them. And if you're against them, they will boot you off committees, they will not invite you to the dinners, they will take away your fundraising, they will run primary challengers against you. It's it's item after item they will do to punish you. So what ends up happening is everyone just falls in line. You essentially have a government that's run by only a handful of people. It's it's controlled completely from the top down. Like Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and to some extent the two Republican leaders, to some extent, have control over the whole thing. And that's been true for a while. I'm not saying that the Democrats are worse on this than the Republicans. What I'm saying is the Democrats are also against democracy. And libertarians should be talking about this because this is a winning issue for us. It is a 100% winning issue for us. If you go to the American people and say, your representatives aren't even allowed to represent you. Do you want to fix that issue? Almost everyone will be on board with you. Almost everyone. So we should be talking about that. They don't believe in democracy. We believe in a democratic representative system of government, which is what we have under our constitutional republic. You know, people like to say, well, it's not a democracy, it's a republic. Yeah, I get it. It's a constitutional republic. Constitutional republics can have democratic voting systems, which is what we have. So 
we have a democratic voting system, but it doesn't actually work at all. Nobody is actually able to participate in the process the way you would expect them to participate when you vote for them. And we as libertarians have to be talking about that if we want to win over a large swath of the electorate. I think it's these process issues which go to the heart of libertarianism that we should be talking about. And again, for those who want to see the connection to libertarianism, I strongly encourage you to read Mises and Hayek. I strongly encourage it. I'm always telling people, you know, the Mises Caucus won, so people think um, maybe like, you know, it's not the time to talk about Mises because there's, a, you know, a broader party that we should be considering. No, I, in some ways, it's a blessing that they won because it brings Mises to the forefront. Let's talk about Mises. Let's talk about him as a party. So for those of you who want to be active in the party, let's talk. Not, this is not to say that rank and file um, members or the average person in the public is ever going to know about Mises. But you can know you who are activists who are listening to this call, listening to this conversation, you can know about these ideas and these strategies and go out and make an impact. And so I think we should be talking about these things and not just ceding it to the Democrats to, to claim they're the party of democracy when they're not. Um, so let's go to Andrew. Hello. Hey, Andrew. Hey, Justin, I just used call in and I uh, was tuning in and I wanted to, you know, uh, add on to what you're saying is that the Democrats are not Democratic at all. And I wanted to give an example of that um, that some people might have forgotten, which is the uh, in 2016, the Democratic Party rigged their own primary elections so that Bernie Sanders would lose. And uh, uh, Bernie Sanders is a fraud and a tool of the Democratic Party, and they still couldn't even accept him into the Democratic Party. And he is a fraud and a tool of the Democratic Party, or at least uh, turns out to be. And uh, the way that this was figured out is that before the Democratic National Convention, there was an anonymous leak of of emails between the Democratic National Convention and uh, the different state parties. And uh, what was revealed is that Debbie Wasserman Schultz was working with each one of the state Democratic parties in order to rig the elections in favor of Hillary Clinton. And this, if, if you guys remember, this was the beginning of Russiagate. So when the leak occurred, instead of focusing on the content of the corruption in the Democratic Party and the fact that the election was bunk because of the fact that the people running the election had rigged it, they made the claim that the emails were leaked by Russia, which then created Russiagate and Intelligencegate, and uh, where the intelligence agencies were leaking false claims to the media, and the media was repeating it as if the famous liars in the intelligence agencies were telling the truth. And uh, anyways, 
I just wanted to remind people of that that incident and how Russiagate started. And uh, in regard to uh, the Democratic Party, they're definitely uh, just absolutely undemocratic and uh, they're failing everywhere. And the there are uh, people I, I used to support Bernie Sanders and there are people who, uh, you know, liked Bernie Sanders before in 2016 when he was an independent and uh, that have created a lot of good stuff. I mean, that, that don't support him anymore, obviously, because he's turned out to be a, a fraud and a tool of the Democratic Party. But uh, anyways, that that was all I wanted to add on to what you said. The Democratic Party is. And they had the super delegates. I mean, I could go on and on, but I just wanted to support your point that the Democratic Party is is doesn't like democracy. Thanks, Andrew. So, Elizabeth, some libertarians deride Reason and Cato as like Beltway libertarians. I've even heard the phrase "regime libertarians." Um. Cosmo First, libertarians. There's there's like a whole lot of them. Yeah. What's that last one? Cosmo libertarians. Cosmo, yeah. So, is first of all, does is that does that get talked about like at reason? In other words, do you guys do you guys ever talk amongst yourselves how you're not real libertarians, or <laughs> is that? Um, it just it amuses us because sometimes. Like, on the very same day, we will have people telling us that we're, like, not right-leaning enough and that we're not left-leaning enough. Like, we get hit from both sides. Like, people are very mad all the time that they that they perceive us. Because I, I say an equal amount of people actually perceive reason as being too, too conservative as, as perceive it as being too liberal. Um, so it's just... It's funny because actually we're like, well, I guess as long as like that we have an equal amount of haters on both sides, then, then we're doing something right. <laughs> um, but, but no, I mean, I think I think it speaks to the fact that we actually are like really big tent. We allow like a range of positions to be uh, shared on our on our pages, and people will see you know like one article or especially like you know that they hate or or you know follow one topic that they hate us on, and they'll just be like, oh, that that's like all you're saying when, when that's, that's really not the case at all. Um, and like you've had, you've had like pro-life writers and pro-choice writers, right? Yeah. Talk yeah. About, talk about that issue. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. We so actually they, got like a lot of, a lot of hate because we had a lot of pro-life libertarians write about stuff um, in, in the wake of the recent Supreme court leak draft. And, um, you know, I, I think we had an equal amount also of pro-life libertarians and pro-choice libertarians writing about it, which some people thought was terrible. But, I mean, I really do think that Reason tries to balance different libertarian viewpoints and not take, like, we always say, you know, we're big tent. We don't have, like, a strict, like, you know, one way to be a libertarian. As long as you can make the libertarian case for a thing that that is sound, like, we will let people write about it. Um, yeah, people just sort of get hung up on, like, also, you know, they, they get very mad sometimes about, like, with my writing particularly, because I do write a lot about sex work stuff, and... They just get very much like, oh, my God, so you're saying that all of us should, should you know, um, praise sex workers or all of us should, you know, 
let our kids go to drag shows, which has nothing to do with sex work. I'm just saying, like, uh, you know, whatever it is. Um, and it's just like, no, no, we are not saying that. And we like, if you actually read the things that we write, that's not ever what we're saying. I'm saying that, like, it is making things worse to have the government criminalize these things or it would make the, you know, things worse to have the state involved. And I don't care what you think about it personally. I mean, I, I am someone who personally like wants people to not think that, the, you know, sex work is, I don't think that sex work is wrong, but I don't, I'm not aiming to convince other people that it's not wrong if they think it's wrong. Like I'm just aiming to convince people that it should not be criminalized. Um, and I think that people just, often don't understand that or or willfully sort of ignore that because they're like really invested in portraying reason as being like very wild and left-wing and libertine as some of them are or as being like way too concerned with pandering to the right and it's just sort of based on people's own personal you know biases a lot so since since Sex work tends to be a topic you write a lot about. Does that get conflated with like your own personality, like what you're concerned oh, yeah. about as a human being? In other words, it's your area. It's like your subject matter expertise. And do you often get that people think that that's what you're just focused on 24-7 because it's your job? So funny. In other words, like in your own yeah, life. Yeah, because like, especially <laughs> people like will be like, yes, like calling that I'm like – you know, a libertine or, you know, just that I'm a degenerate and like all this stuff because, because I think that like people shouldn't be, you know, thrown in cages for having essential sex. Right. It's like, as if Um, you had, like, if you did like the drug beat or something for reason, it would be like assuming you're like a drug addict or something, or you're just obsessed with drugs, which is like, (laughs) you know, as I said, like I, like I did sex work in my past, but also, you know, the idea that, I mean, I'm like, I'm married. I have a child. Like, I live in oh, mid. I live in the suburbs of the Midwest, where like, basically the only people I hang out with are like my family members. And like, I, I'm so wholesome. Like, I'm so incredibly wholesome these days. Um, and then I just think it's it's so funny when people accuse me of, of yeah that of that sort of stuff because I'm just like. Man, if you knew, like, my average weekend was, like, going to a backyard picnic with, like, a bunch of, like, relatives and small children, and, like, it's just, yeah, my life is very, very wholesome at the moment. (laughs) When people make this criticism about Beltway libertarians, do you think it's mostly about a strategic difference? Like, you talk a certain way, the way you talk, or is it an ideological difference? Do you, is there something they don't like about you ideologically, or do you think it's mostly just, like... You presented a certain you pre, you're presenting libertarianism in a way that doesn't necessarily make them comfortable. I think both. I mean, I think that there are people, yes, who are just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't, I don't think drugs should be criminalized. I don't think you know, uh, sex should be criminalized. I don't think what, whatever. I don't think these things. But I just wish you wouldn't talk about it that much because I think it's like bad for our brand. Like, there's definitely that. Um, but you know, yeah, I think that there are, there is an increasingly, or maybe not increasingly, I don't know, but there is like a significant segment of people who identify as libertarian, but don't want, and we get a lot of stuff about immigration too. Like, like people think we're too liberal on immigration. Um, but yeah, I think there's a lot of people who are like, I want libertarianism on 
50% or 75% of, of the areas, but like not these ones. And so like they want to change libertarianism to mean limited government in, in this, 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 and this, but not this. And so I think, yeah, there are also those people too, who, who really do think that like libertarianism should not be about these things and we are, we are betraying it. But, but you know, I wish that, I wish that they could just be honest. Like I wish that they could just say like, I want to change what libertarianism is about. Instead of we get like, you guys aren't libertarianism when it's like, we're saying things that like, for instance, the libertarian party has said for its entire existence that reason magazine has been saying since it was founded in 1968, since like classical liberals long before the libertarian party or the word even like was used, like have been saying like, we are carrying on a very traditional version of libertarianism. And I wish that they could just like admit that, they are the ones who want to change it. Not, not that we are not libertarian. Yeah. Well, I've had you on here for now almost <laughs> two hours and almost two hours and 20 minutes. Um, and we were joking before we started, uh, how long it could go. And I was like, Oh, yeah. I promise it was not going to go three hours. I said, but, um, so we, we'd probably, uh, Better bring it to a close, but yeah. um, I, I want to thank you for being here. People can find you on Twitter. Um, what's your handle? At E N Brown. E N Brown. By the way, I was thinking about your name. Do you have? Do you use the? Is that your middle name, Nolan, yeah. or is that? Nolan is my middle name. Yeah. And do you use it because Elizabeth Brown would be such a common name? Yes. And so, Brown is like the most generic name ever. It's completely ungoogleable, which maybe now, like in retrospect, I should have gone with that. But um, when I was starting out, I was like, I need, I need some other name in there. So. Yeah, and uh, you can be found at Reason. So yes. um, hope, hope people will check that out. Um, I subscribe to Reason. And check and, out, uh, check out, yeah, check out Feminist for Liberty. Also, we're on Twitter at Feminist Liberty. So. So, um, Elizabeth, I want to thank you for being on here and for going uh, this length of time. And, you know, we'll keep uh, working together to advance libertarianism. All right. Sounds good. All right. (laughs) Take care, Elizabeth. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks, everyone.